a trio of senior researchers and leaders from the Melbourne Graduate School of Education at the University of Melbourne, including Professor Janet Clinton, uh, Professor Sandra Milligan, and they're going to be in conversation with the Dean of the Melbourne School, and that's Professor Jim Waterston. So I'll go over to you now, Jim. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Jim Waterston, and I'm the Dean at the Melbourne Graduate School of Education. Um, at, at Melbourne University, and it's my pleasure today to uh, work with two of my colleagues to um, present some information that we've been working on for a while at uh, it, it, in our university about new learning metrics, um, new learning evaluation and new learning leadership. And so um, we've got a very short period of time in the first 30 minutes to be able to split this session into two halves. First of all, each of us will talk about um, the areas that, that we want to communicate to you today. And then in the second half, we'll um, present the workshops in, in a longer format and you will, you'll be able to make your choice as to which one you'd like to go to. So we are going to pack a lot into this first 30 minutes um, and uh, talk at the high level. So I want to start by just putting in your mind a metaphor, which I think you've probably seen around before, of a tidal wave crashing onto the beach. So for me, that metaphor is um, is COVID and COVID has, uh, has hit hit the beach and um, water's gone inland, but as it retracts back into the ocean, uh, it uncovers what was already there before COVID started. So the tidal wave for us has been a, a really big impact, but it's really just hidden what, what we were already worried about in education. And today we want to talk about some of those things that, that we were worried about um, and agree that uh, that not just because of COVID, but but because we are now in a different environment, that it's urgent that we get on with doing some of the work that we should have been thinking about all along. And for many of us, we have been thinking about that work. So one of the things that we did learn from COVID was that um, if there is an urgent pressing need that everyone agrees with, then we can make the changes um, much quicker than we've ever imagined that we could do right across education systems. And every single person in Australia, as you know, who works in education was able to rise to the call and be able to move to online or remote learning and, and do things that we hadn't imagined that we'd been able to do in such a short period of time. And we all did it willingly. Um, and, and for the most part, we did a great job. It was innovative and, uh, and people worked hard. So we want to try and use that lens of, of banding people together and thinking about what these changes might look like as we move forward um, to, to use the urgency for good rather than sort of still coping through a period of time that we don't know what it's going to look like at the end. So what brings the three of us together today is the aphorism that's often used, what gets measured gets done. So we want to talk about taking charge at the local level and ensuring that assessment, evaluation and leadership meets the needs of students in the community and not meets the needs of national league tables. And so it's it's a great opportunity for us now to talk about some of that work. So uh, without any further ado, I'd like to um, introduce Professor Sandra Milligan and Professor Janet Clinton, who along with myself are going to speak about um, the, the different issues. And we're going to start with um, Sandra. So welcome along, Sandra. I really appreciate your time. Sandra is a Director of the Assessment Research Centre at the Melbourne Graduate School of, of Education at Melbourne University. And she's been working... Um, with what she terms as first mover schools from around the nation to work on building student capabilities um, in the general, um, in, in building student capacities in the general capabilities to broaden the profile of what graduating, graduating students have achieved in their compulsory school years. That's a quick introduction, Sandra. You'll, you'll do um, more justice to it than I did, so I'll hand over to you. So thanks. Okay, thanks, Jim. Um, it's lovely to be here. <coughs> 
Um, yes, I guess what I'd like to talk about after after this is the work that we're doing with, as you say, a group of what I call first mover schools. <clears throat> and they're schools that we've worked with before COVID as well as after, because as you said, I, I don't think that COVID has shown us much new except that there's something very urgent to do. And um, what, what those schools have come from, the area that they've come from is that they've decided that what their students need to thrive is not yet sufficiently captured through the curriculum, through the assessment and through the reporting that they have in their schools. Now, what they mean by thrive is what would students need to know and be able to do so that they can be really good learners into the at school and beyond, really good citizens, uh, good workers, and actually really um, respond to the needs in society, whether it's COVID or an earthquake or whatever it is, um, and have the confidence and creativity and capacity to do that. So these schools have been the, these first mover schools have been considering that some of them for well over nearly two decades, some for a decade or so, some for a number of years, and they usually start with the curriculum. What is it that students need to learn to thrive? And by and large, they, they come at different approaches to this, but by and large, it tends to be in the area of the general capabilities. They'll talk about things like citizenship, ability to have student agency, uh, ability to communicate, be a critical thinker, how do you tell the difference between news and fake news, all of these kinds of things. So they've got different names for the, the these areas of the curriculum, but generally they're in the areas of general capability. And most of them, most of the schools, all of the schools and organisations we're working with have over the last few years made serious attempts to change their teaching and the organisation of the learning so kids can develop these capabilities. Now, um, the, the wonderful work. It's really exciting work to look at. But, of course, then they bump up against the inevitable, and this is why they come to us, because most of the formal metrics of education, things like NAPLAN, PAP tests, standardised tests, VCE examinations, ATAR, all of those kinds of things are fairly narrowly focused on the basic standards, on the basic subject knowledge, and they're usually assessed using standardised methods of assessment that make sure, which is good, that we have comparable standards that are applied everywhere that students can measure where they're up to in, in an area of development. That's all good. But those methods and approaches are inadequate, insufficient when it comes to trying to work out whether we're doing the right thing in this broader conception of learning, in the new learning ambitions. So the schools come to us and say, well, we're trying hard to teach this stuff, but how do we know if we're succeeding? How can we show kids that we're developing? How can we prove to parents that our really innovative approaches to teaching are working? 
Will employers trust when our kids come out with these kinds of things? So these questions go to how can you assess it? How can you trust that your assessments are reliable, valid, useful, real for kids? And how can we use these sorts of new metrics to further the interests of students and schools? So that's the work that we're doing with uh, our first movers in new metrics because it's, it's new work. We're in a research partnership with these schools where together we're working out how to do it and I'm um, very happy to go into more details later on in this session. Um, Jim, is there anything else I should cover? Sure, Sandra. I guess the question that sort of comes straight to mind is if, uh, if you're working with those first movers, are they blazing the trail for all schools in Australia to think about um, being able to measure and uh, provide uh, accreditation for achievement of general capabilities by students or, or is this just a movement um, for those particular schools? Um, no, the, the new metrics project in particular with Unimelb, everyone joined it. Um, we've got 36 schools plus one university in the project. All of us have joined because we want to achieve two things. First of all, we want to achieve what I call rubber on the road for each individual school in their, with their learning ambitions for their students. But we also want to work out how we can do this better for everyone in the system. See, um, you know, a, one of the things that's motivating many of the schools that are with us is that they know that some kids are missing out you know, there's the normal um, suspects, I guess, that are missing out, like kids from low socioeconomic backgrounds, rural kids, um, remote kids, indigenous kids in Indigenous communities and so forth. And the, the general view is, well, you know, the ATAR and things like that were bought in so that there was an objective and fair measure for everyone. We need as, an, as objective and as fair but better and more appropriate measures for everyone, um, uh, particularly the disadvantaged kids, if the Australian education system is going to thrive itself. So one of the motivations of, for all of the schools is how do, we, how do we get equity and quality going side by side in our whole education system? And these first movers, I think, are showing the way. They won't be showing different schools their way because I think different schools are taking a different path. But we do need some commonality here so that we can trust it and so that, again, it doesn't matter what school a student goes to, we can be confident that they've got the quality they need to thrive when they leave school. Thanks, Sandra. This is a much deeper and broader project that is capturing the attention of a lot of states around Australia. Um, and uh, uh, so it's got legs and it's going to continue. So um, for people who want to know more, there'll be an opportunity after this session finishes for Sandra to talk in greater detail. So I appreciate that. Can I introduce Janet, uh, Professor Janet Clinton, who um, is, also works at the Melbourne Graduate School of Education. She's an international expert on uh, the discipline of education, of evaluation, education as well. And she'll talk to you about what the new narrative around school-based evaluation is so that what gets measured um, is, is the, the, the work that we're doing in our school so that we can um, create opportunities to use an evidence base 
in our local environment to be able to then um, grow outcomes for every young person in that focus on equity that this conference is um, sort of front and centre about. So, Janet, without any further ado, I'd like to hand over to you. Thanks, Jim. It's it's a real pleasure to be here. And um, what I want to do is maybe challenge Sandra a little bit, just a tad, Sandra. But I want to take it a step further because what I just heard Sandra talk about is the notion of thriving and which, you know, a good educational psychologist, I'll tell you, absolutely agree with it. And how do we get our kids, how do we get our students, our teachers, our communities to thrive? And, and you know, the, the conference is about equity. And I would argue that what equity is all about is about access and opportunity to thrive. And understanding how that thriving is occurring is really important. So, Sandra, assessment is critical. Absolutely agree. What I just heard is we're going to do a bit more measuring. And what I guess I want to challenge here is that in education, we measure everything that moves, everything. And what do we do with it? How do we think about it? And what do we do with all of that information, that kind of evidence, and how do we integrate it? So in an equitable quality education system. Let's take a quick break. I'm Michael Severs, the writer, producer, and creator of The Silver King's War, a podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Stanley L. Silverfield, a first lieutenant in the United States Army Air Corps from Birmingham, Alabama, rode in the nose the greenhouse of the famed Martin Marauder. You can find The Silver King's War wherever you listen to podcasts. We are actually building a... Think of it as as a learning organization, which is what we all talk about. So for me, absolutely agree with what Sandra was saying. Measurement along the way is essential. We need, and it needs to be valid. It needs to be good. And we need to, to actually focus on measuring those things that are important. But what's the actual vehicle for change? What's the vehicle for equity and access and opportunity in education? I would argue it's evaluation. Yes, and people roll their eyes when I say that. But but the idea that everybody has the opportunity, students, teachers, principals, the system, to think about progression using those uh, assessments that we use, and dare I say, even NAPLAN, to think about not progression as pass or fail, but always as a challenge, always as a way of thinking what do I need to do? What am I going to do? How well am I doing it? And what am I going to move? What am I going to do next? That's for our students as well. Constantly thinking about that and having access to that evidence and information so you can be keeping that cycle going, continually thinking. That is using the good assessment information that Sandra is talking about. Assessment alone is not going to cut it. And that's why when I think about what's the essence of a quality education system, if it's going to be this whole matter of a learning organisation, then using information in a evaluative way to bring about change and improvement. So we understand the environment 
and we understand what our role is, and particularly for leaders, is it's how we monitor and think about what we're doing, when we're doing it, how we're doing and what we do next. So if you imagine that evaluation is always about determining the merit and worth of something that you're doing and how we could improve and use that information as a, con as a consequence of getting that. So think about NAPLAN, for example. The whether you like it or not, whether you like standardised testing or not, the idea is it tells us how our country is going in certain areas of numeracy and literacy, for example. So what, what's currently happening in the system, and this is where, Jim, um, I'm hoping that both you and Sandra can, can come in and, and give us some ideas, is the system has taken hold on this massive test and suggesting that this will tell us everything is the end game. And so what's actually happened, evaluation now is seen as this add-on assessment and it's an assessment for accountability. So if you're not increasing NAPLAN scores in your school, you're seen as a failure. No, I, I don't know any teacher or any school that can turn around NAPLAN that quickly just by doing assessment or just by bringing in a numeracy and literacy strategy. It takes time. And there are certain steps that you have to move to to get to that. So, but we've become so enamored with this notion of, um, you know, accountability that in many ways our assessments have become the stick. And what we've got to do is, what I want to do is flip that narrative and think about how you can take good assessment, Sandra, always behind you on that one, and use the information from assessments and use evaluative thinking about how we're going, how's the implementation going to ensure that we're taking the steps we need to do. So it's about changing the mindset and it's about changing that mindset in terms of Yes, the measurement, but also considering how we can realistically get our teachers and our leaders to build some autonomy in this area of evaluation. And that's what I want to talk about. How can you take control so that what you're doing at the point of implementation actually feeds into uh, the system's view of what should happen? So you become the architect of the system by using all of the information, by telling your story in a, in a very different way. Now, that's going to require a change in mindset, not only for leaders, actually for our system as well. So the evaluation is embedded right from the get-go. You're planning, you're thinking about the implementation of it. How's that going? You're actually monitoring that. So in essence, all the great ideas and plans that you have shouldn't actually fail because you're adapting, you're agile, just as we've done with COVID, by the way. If you think about, and I think you said this, Jim, how we had this tidal wave and how quickly we have moved to change the way we're working. And in actual fact, what's been happening is our teachers have been focusing assessments on their students and turning that around to think about what they need and what they need next and then going back to everybody and saying, well, I need this, talking to parents and saying, well, we need to do this. So it's, an, it's not, I'm not denying accountability. I would never shy away from it. And I'm not saying we don't always have challenges. But for me, it's about 
thinking differently about those challenges. And it's really about thinking at the various levels for individuals, classrooms, schools, regions, states, how we can scaffold information all the way up so that we're actually taking charge and we're not seeing, for example, a classroom assessment as adding no value to what's happening at the school or or what the school is doing in terms of its and its journey in terms of evaluation and how that contributes to the system as a whole. So I know that sounds a bit lofty and broad, and what I want to do in in the session is really think about what leaders can do, not as an add-on, but think about how amazing our leaders and our teachers already are. They're already doing lots of this stuff, but how can we tweak what we're doing without thinking of evaluation and assessment, Sandra, as burden? something you do at the end. How can we embed it so we're actually changing our mindset? So I've got some, I want to go through some steps that I think we can do, which is just about changing the narrative, but it really is flipping that coin on the notion of the stick versus the carrot. I want everybody to be deliriously engaged, just as I am, with the desire to get evaluative information. That's what I'm hoping to do in the next session. Change okay, the thank world. You, Janet. That, that's terrific. And I'm not trying to cut you off, but we, we're running short on time. I guess what I'm hearing you say, though, is that from a from an accountability, which has predominantly been in school systems external and people feeling like they're being, um, uh, you know, um, surveyed from above, what you're trying to talk about is turning this around to an internal accountability so that schools have agency over their own progress and are able to t- have a narrative that talks about um, what success they're having and what challenges they've got. And I think I think the work that you've been doing is fantastic in terms of giving schools the opportunity to learn more about how to do that in a way that improves practice and supports teachers rather than adds more work to it. So I'm sure if people are there with you in the next session, they'll get a lot out of being able to uh, focus on turning that accountability system around. If I can just take a couple of minutes um, to take the third aspect of what we wanted to talk about today. And that is the the idea we need um, some different thinking around leadership to be able to make some of these changes that we need um, post-COVID or or continuing with COVID, if that's how it's going to be. But again, these are issues that have have been prominent for a long time prior to the the situation that we find ourselves in now. Um, You know, everyone knows about leadership in education. And in fact, just to check, I... I, um, went into Google yesterday to see how many hits that leadership would come up with. So I was right, the 2.72 billion hits about leadership. And if you want to go straight to school leadership, 844 million hits. So so everyone knows about it. Every, everyone can tell you what a good leader is, except for people who are in the job. And it's never been more challenging to be a leader. And I'm not just talking about the principal, I'm talking about leaders within the school at all different levels who band together as a team to, to focus on all of the things that, that we constantly hear that are, that are wrong with our school system, when in fact, those people working in them know that there's um, a heck of a lot that is right that we just need to build upon. You know, if you pick up any book, there'll be there'll be things about leadership styles, instructional, distributed, transformational, servant, strategic, constructivist. I could go on. I've got a list here of, of more and more. Everyone wants to pitch a style and, and turn the particular leader into, into some kind of automaton that, that needs to adopt a way of doing this work. What we've seen during COVID is that our, our leaders were uh, amazing. They were able to empower their staff. They were able to let the decisions happen at, at the face-to-face level with students. And they were able to um, bring about uh, 
innovation and adaptation within their own uh, local context, which I don't think we've ever done across the 10,000 schools in Australia at any other given point in history. And as I said at the start of this um, uh, presentation, not all of it's worked perfectly and there's been some challenges along the way, but everyone has thrown themselves into it together. And if we could ever harness that um, collective capacity for change as we go forward, then, um, then we, we could do anything. And I think that's as, as tired as we all are now and as sort of, um, uh, you know, run down and, and sort of overworked, and I, and I guess that's not sort of, um, you know, taking that lightly. Uh, now is the time to start thinking about how we want to do this better. And, and I think we've created agency and so many people in schools through great leadership that, uh, that that we really need to to think about what what it has been what has been the hallmark of that leadership. So for me, I, I've been around schools for a long time and, and school systems and 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 been a principal for a long time as Adam has and and other people that are in this um, presentation today. But for me, there's three abundantly um, clear um, points of truth that I've I've come come to sort of um, understand in terms of leadership. One is that. There is no such thing as a high-performing school that is not driven by high-performing leadership. It just does not happen with, without the leadership driving that and empowering staff to, to be able to contribute to, to that work. And so it goes hand-in-hand. Hand. If we're going to continue to improve schools and improve outcomes in Australia, we need to make sure that there are high-performing uh, leadership teams in every school. And unfortunately, because of the context and because of experience and a whole range of other issues, um, we probably haven't got that consistency of leadership at the moment. Secondly, um, high-performing school leaders, I think, um, work differently from their from their um, high high energy, high focus, high motivated leaders in other schools where the performance isn't as great. And I want to talk about what some of that difference is. Um, and thirdly, and thirdly, as as um, I, I talk about uh, leadership to to leaders, and I ask, what support are you missing that you could have? It's time and it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, uh, a, a commodity that we can't supply to people, but everyone wants more time. What I want to talk about today is what not to do as well as what to do. So it, it's it's a very short lead into this presentation, but I, I think for, for school communities to build that leadership density, we have to go about this differently and that's what I want to talk about as we go to the next session. So that's been very quick. It's a, it's a taster to go forward, but... Uh, we thank you for, for your involvement in this and we look forward to presenting on a deeper level um, as, as we finish this. So thank you. Jim, uh, thank you very much uh, for that and to Janet and to Sandra.